going to continue ministering out of James this morning, and uh, I wish I could be more sort of jovial sometimes, you know, you get those kind of preachers that always can crack the right joke and do the right thing and get people to relax and whatever. Well, that's not my deal. I don't do that very well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the word this morning because that's what I feel like God's called me to do. And this is part 11 of uh, the series called Dazzling Christianity. And I find it absolutely brilliant just uh, in my own life. Then God ministered to me as I've been preparing and, and doing prep for this. One of the things that God has been doing in my own life is uh, it's, when you preach like this, there's some things that you've got to face. <laughs> because if you've got to preach them, then God is doing something, got to do something in you. And this portion we're going to read this morning, James 1.19 for me, it's an incredible portion of, of, of this book. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Wow. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so what I want to speak to you about this morning is thinking before speaking. Or we could put it another way if I just chose the title out of those verses, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And uh, last week we looked at the key of all of what we've been trying to speak about for the last while, and the key was being born again, the key is saving grace. That is the key to everything. That's the key to wisdom from heaven. That's the key to uh, controlling yourself. That's the key to having a right attitude towards wealth and poverty. Um, the key is to trust that every good gift comes from heaven. And every good gift comes to us from above, from the Father of lights. That's the key, is to have that revelation in your life. That, that changes everything. So the key is the saving grace of God. That's how we can resist sin. That's how we can um, raise our kids well, is to know that saving grace in our lives. And here's another key. Because James is now bringing us to the point where he's saying, okay, God has given us the Word. God has given us salvation. God's given us His grace. But now... God wants us to live by that grace. He wants us to live by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. It's one thing to be saved. We were praying in this morning at the prayer meeting. It's wonderful to know salvation. But there's empowering grace. There's ongoing grace in your life to enable you to live a life that pleases Him. That's not legalism. That's the grace of God that encourages you and refreshes you and enables you to resist sin and to know Him more intimately in your life. It's the grace of God. And so... This is like a timely reminder to us in the midst of all that James has been saying. He brings a practical verse now, and he says, Be those that are quick to listen before you speak. And if anyone, if we, I just look back on my own life and think of how much harm has been done in relationships that I have in my own life because of speaking without thinking. And it takes years sometimes to restore those relationships. And so... This verse might, it might offend us at first. We might think, gee, that's strong language. But I want to say to you, if we can allow the Spirit to do something in us as a community of faith, if we truly can let the, the Spirit do something deep in our hearts, it will help us in every area of our lives. At school, in the businesses that you run, with your friends, in hospitals where you might work, uh, and especially in this community of faith. Okay? If all of us, every single one of us, and I include myself, could just apply these simple, straightforward words, let everyone...
Every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And the point I want to start with in terms of this introduction is that James is not just adding like a little moralistic teaching now. There is a flow of thought that he's been developing for the whole of the first chapter. And remember, we talked about that absolutely incredible verse that James um, brings to us. And he says, he says, let no one say that when he's being tempted, that he's being tempted from God, because no evil comes from God. Remember that verse we talked about? And he's really expanding that now. He's kind of taking that thought and he's expanding a little bit more. And this really is where the rubber hits the road for if you're a believer. How you respond at this point will determine how you live your life as a believer. If you truly believe that every good gift comes from him, that no evil comes from him, it will radically affect the way that you live. If you have some doubts in your heart about evil and about you know, that God will, allows us, God kind of brings us to the point of being tempted. If you, if, you, if you believe that, it will affect the way that you live profoundly. And so for me, this is where the rubber hits the road. Remember, um, James emphasizes that again in verse 16, because he says, do not be deceived, brothers. He emphasizes it again. He says, do not be deceived. He knew how important this thing was, that every good gift comes from God and that God could not, cannot be tempted by evil in any way. So the first thing I want to say, and I've got three points this morning, the first thing I want to say is just zero on that little phrase, quick to hear. And again, I, I've stressed this as I've, I've, I've preached this series, that James is, is, doesn't let anyone get away. He says, let every person be quick to hear. All right? So there are no exceptions. Again, <laughs> no exceptions. He wants every one of us to listen. He wants every one of us to have our hearts open that we can hear God. And the first thing I want to say is in the context of all that James has said in the first chapter, the first thing he wants us to be quick to listen to is the voice of God in our lives. That's what he's saying. He's saying first primary for all of us as believers is the fact that we hear God for our lives and hear God for ourselves. And I want to say that it's not enough. I say this as lovingly as I can. It's not enough just to come and hear me preach once a week. There has to be an intimacy in your, in your own personal life of your relationship with God. And I, can't, I can, can't conjure any of you to do that. Only you can get yourself out of bed in the morning or late at night or on the way to work. Only you can discipline yourself to hear God and to hear from His Word. I can encourage you, but only you can do that. And what you believe at this point is going to really determine how you live much of your life. And I want to just say this. It's fascinating as a preacher because people get angry when you preach. And I can see it when I preach. You can see sometimes when you say something, people resist, and you can just see their face tighten a little bit, and then you know God is speaking to them. <laughs> it's true. But when, when, when the word comes, often people get angry at God directly, or else they get angry at the preacher. All right? And that's part of, part of the deal of preaching the word of God. But what does James encourage us here? He says, nothing good comes from anger. anger. The anger of men doesn't lead to the righteousness of God. And that's what he encourages us with right from the beginning. And I was just thinking, you know, if you were to walk down the street, uh, Joe, Joe Soap, the average person in the street, and you were to ask them what they thought about God, I guarantee you that the majority of people would have a complaint about God. They would say something like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? First thing that comes out of their mouth. Or if God is all-knowing and omnipotent and omnipotent, why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he do something? 
If he's God is all-powerful, he can stop evil. Well, why doesn't he just stop evil? Everyone has something to say, and often people use that as a basis for justification, not believing in God, because they see evil, and they say, well, I don't believe in God because of the evil that I see. And the interesting thing for, for me with what James is saying here is he's, he knows that for every believer, that's also a temptation. For you and I, every week, there's a temptation as a Christian to feel that some things in our life are God's fault. It's really happening. This God, this is your fault. These things that are happening to me, these are, this is your fault. Why is it happening to me? <laughs> and um, I remember Job's wife. She, she kind of shook, uh, not Job's wife. Um, that doesn't matter. It'll come to me just now. Um, yes, it was Job's wife. She shook her fist at God and got angry at him. She said, it's all your fault, God. Well, we face that temptation as well as Christians every day of the week to, in terms of how we see, with what perspective we see our lives. And so, what does James say? Let every man be quick to listen and he emphasizes verse 16, don't be deceived. So what do pagan masses do? What do the pagans do? All the pagans. They complain. They shake their fists at God. And remember what Jesus said to all of us in uh, Matthew 7, verse 13. He says this, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And many are those who walk on it. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So everyone has a ready-made objection to God. Everyone has got something to say. And I feel like the first thing James is trying to say here is he's trying to encourage us not to jump to the same conclusion as everybody else. We're not called just to think logically and to respond by what we see. Remember a couple of weeks ago I I spoke about revelation and that we are called to live by the uncreated revelation of the light of God. We We are called to see things from that perspective. And I want to say that actually that shows what you really believe as a believer. How you respond really does show what is deep within your heart. And I don't say that to accuse anybody because, um, like I said, I've had to look into my own heart. (laughs) But the first phrase, that little phrase, know this, that he starts with, know this, brothers. In the authorized version, it's it's very interesting. It's translated from a Greek word, ist, I-S-T-E. And it means to have intimate knowledge of something. So what he's saying is, know this inside out. Sorry, um, Root, this is just ringing a little bit. Top end, if you can take it off, please. Um, He's he's saying, know this inside out. Know this from top to bottom. Know this intimately. So he's saying, this response that I'm talking about now, I want you to have that as the default response of your heart. Remember we talked about patience being developed, that it's our default response to be patient. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, know this, dear brothers, inside and out, upside and down, know this, and then you live like this. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, slow to anger. Let it become the pattern of your life. And uh, the interesting thing is that James is not saying that we have to understand everything perfectly to respond like that. In fact, um, He's just saying, whatever the situation is in your life, when you don't know how to respond, when you don't know what to say, when you are at a loss for words, dip your tongue. Remember what I said, there's that upward spiral that God wants to encourage us in, and there's the downward spiral that the devil wants to, uh, us to fall into. And what he's saying, he's saying that actually this is part of the process. Everything that comes from below 
is not from God. Everything that is good and is gift to us comes from heaven, from above. So he's saying to us, ugly speech, angry speech does not come from above. It comes from below, comes from within. That's what he's saying. Everything that's good, everything that's noble, that's what Paul encourages us in Philippians, everything that's lovely, everything that's perfect, every good gift is from above. And James has been talking about us dignifying trials, having joy in trials, resisting temptation, all those things that we've talked about for weeks now. And he's really concluding this thought. He's concluding that thought by saying this thing. And he's basically, what he's trying to say is, when you're in the midst of the trial, when you're in the midst of the temptation, don't fly off the handle. Don't lose your temper. Don't lose your cool. Because nothing good comes from that. Nothing. And I found in my own life that sometimes... I want to believe that I am the exception. Have you ever felt like that before? And uh, I've heard phrases like this. I've used these phrases in my own life. I've heard other people use these phrases. It's just my personality. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I really let people know what I think. I like to, I'm a person who likes to get things off my chest. Ever used those um, things? I like to speak my mind. That's another one. I like to speak my mind. Well, you know, James cuts through all of that and he just says, he makes a statement that includes everybody, regardless of personality, temperament, or persuasion. He just says, let every person be quick to listen and slow to speak. So that's the challenge of it, isn't it? We've got to let the sword go through our own hearts. It's true that we have different temperaments and personalities. I'm not saying that we don't. But what is also true is that we all came to salvation the same way. <laughs> we, we all had the word come to us. What I was saying last week, the word, the seed, the sperm, it comes into the heart. It takes root in the egg, produces life. We all got saved the same way. And we all have the same spirit, word, and truth to lead us forward into our, the fullness of our lives. All of us, regardless of temperament, personality, or whatever other persuasion. All of us, it's a, it's a level playing field for all of us. We all got saved in the same way. We all have to go on in the same way, living by the power of the Spirit of God as He transforms us from the inside out, regardless whether you're phlegmatic, whether you're uh, whatever the other personality traits are. Are you with me? The encouragement is for all of us to walk by the Spirit. I was reflecting on this as well, that it cost Jesus everything, it cost God everything to enable us to hear him for the first time. It cost Jesus his life to make the way open that we could hear him for the first time and that our ears could begin to hear and that there could, life could begin to be birthed in, our, in, 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 in us by the power of the Spirit. It cost God everything. And so what James is saying is, is be quick to hear that is the thing that we have to guard with all of our hearts. It's an incredible gift to hear the voice of God. And he's saying, guard that with all of your life. Be quick to hear. It costs God everything. It costs Jesus everything for him to reach into you and transform you. Now guard that with all of your heart. Be quick to hear. And that just brings me to my second point, which is this. I think there's an underlying thought that James is trying to point us towards when he says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. He's trying to say this to us. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the underpinning thought. 
And uh, I want to just say this, that the Bible teaches conclusively, absolutely, that we cannot lose the Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. All right, why do I say that? Well, um, John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper who will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. Or Philippians 1, 6, Paul speaking, he says, um, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. There's a pointing towards the work of the Spirit in our lives. So we can never lose the Holy Spirit. When we say it, we receive Him. But we can certainly grieve the Holy Spirit. And how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a scripture that says, well, when, when prophecy comes, don't, don't, um, don't despise prophecy because by that you grieve the Holy Spirit. That's one scripture that we can point to. The other thing I just want to point to generally is that we grieve the Holy Spirit by becoming deaf to Him. By becoming deaf to Him. And not hearing His voice. And that grieves the Holy Spirit because He's trying to speak to us all the time. He's trying to communicate with us all the time. And what causes spiritual deafness? Sin causes spiritual deafness. And when we flirt with sin, when we just allow ourselves to get into situations where we are being tempted, that's when we start to get into problems. And James has encouraged us strongly. He's reminded us not to think like that. He's reminded us by saying, look, no temptation comes from God. Just don't be deceived about that. Don't get yourself into that position. Resist that. Resist sin with all of your heart. And the problem is, is when we start uh, to flirt with sin, then we start to listen to other voices in our lives instead of the voice of God. And I pointed to some obvious things like sexual purity, for example. When that voice starts to become the the loudest, you start to give yourself to that rather than to God. Yeah? But there's nothing more wonderful to see in believers than a warm, soft, open heart to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? And those kind of people are absolutely wonderful to be around, um, where you just know this person's heart is open, it's warm, God is speaking to them. They're hearing the voice of God. I mean, that's, it's a delightful thing. And my point is simply this, is that God wants to speak to us. He's always trying to speak to us. And He wants to communicate with us. That's His heart. His heart is always to have more relationship with us. His heart is that we can experience the garden. He wants to get to that, back to that place with us as human beings of what He always had for Adam and Eve in the garden before we sinned. That's what redemption is. That's what salvation is. is We can enjoy that relationship in the cool of the garden with, with God. We can enjoy that again. That's what he saved us for. And Paul reminds us of that in Galatians 6. That it's all about intimacy and relationship when he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, you will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will, will from the, the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, the one who lives by the Spirit, the one who walks by the Spirit will re, re, reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Don't get weary of doing good. Doing what God wants for your life. If we do not give up, he says. What about Jesus in Luke 12, 32? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give us more of the kingdom here on earth. He wants to give us the kingdom. But we need to have our ears open to hear so we can hear what He has for us. And so when I say that, that God's heart is for relationship and intimacy with us, remember this, that we also have a, a de- an enemy, the devil, who walks around like a prowling lion, so the Bible says, looking for people to devour. And he wants to do everything that he can to get you in your life to lose that intimacy with God and for that relationship to be broken, the communication to be broken. So he will do everything in his power to lead you into a place where you give in to sin. 
He'll do everything. That's his mission. What does the scripture say? The scripture says sin leads to death. What sin wants to do in our lives is kill every single one of us. You know what killed Amy Winehouse? Sin. Giving in to sin. What, what killed those kids in, in Norway was a madman so under the power of sin that he cannot control himself and he blows away a whole lot of people. If you want evidence of sin, there's two examples of you. What sin is essentially about is death. That's what sin's aim is, to kill us. And so, the devil at the same time wants you to give in. He wants you to give in to temptation. He wants you to give in to anger. So, James gives us the key. Well, um, Proverbs 4.23 encourages us to do this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Guard your heart, some translations say, for from it flows the spring of life. Guard your heart. Be quick to hear. Soft, open heart. So how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit then? (laughs) Well, James gives us a clue in his next little phrase. What does he say? Be quick to hear and be slow to speak. You know, the only time we actually grieve the Holy Spirit, most of the time we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we open our mouths, when we start speaking. He's slow to speak. And it's interesting because in chapter 3, when we look at chapter 3 later, you'll see that James talks more, more in detail about the tongue and the power of the tongue. And the, 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 we can either speak life or death uh, over, over each other with the power of the tongue. But here's where he first introduces the thought, right here in chapter 1. And so, what James is saying, and I am laboring it a little bit this morning, James is saying, when you are agitated, when you are upset, when you feel your temperature rising, when you feel like that person at work has just said, the, again, said the thing that's really spinning your wheels, and you just want to get back at them with your words, James says, what do you say? Zip it. Say nothing. And he's saying this, that we actually, that's, we win a victory when we are mistreated and we say nothing. Then we start to store up treasure for self in heaven. The devil wants you to try and get even with your words. And I've had to um, come to the conclusion, this uncomfortable truth in my own life, that really the only people that truly speak their minds without thinking of, of the consequences are children. And surely we are not to be, remain as children, babes in Christ. We are to want to grow up and become mature in all things. And become men and women of God. Not babies always in Christ, but men and women. So I want to just put a thought to you this morning. Can, can you imagine in this room this morning, however many of us there are, if each of you really started verbalizing what you think about everybody else? You might verbalize some good things, but in the course of the discussion, you might start verbalizing some negative things about other people. I just really want to tell you what I think. I want to say to you that in a very short space of time, I'm not trying to be dramatic, I'm saying all hell would break loose in this building. Every demon in hell would be rejoicing with the devil as people started speaking those things over each other. They would dance with delight. (laughs) And so I want to say... It can take years to restore relationships because of foolish speech, unwise speech, flying off the handle. Years and years and years. Why? Because then we hold grudges against each other. 
and uh, those wounds can go deep. And you know, the devil can even trick us to thinking that we are being godly, because he tempts us with phrases like this. I just want to tell you that I forgive you for what you did. <laughs> and often that can be motivated by self-righteousness and wanting to get back at the other person, because sometimes the, per- the person doesn't even know what you're talking about. Uh, to give you an example, I had uh, not part of this church. I was in another church, and this girl came up to me. I was leading worship one day, and she came up to me. She just said, I just want to tell you that I forgive you. I said, oh, well, thank you very much. And I said, well, but what have I done? She said, actually, you haven't done anything, but you remind me of my brother. You look like him, and I'm angry at my brother. I just want to tell you that I forgive you. She was so so twisted in her thinking that that's what it got to. Just because I reminded her of someone else, she was angry with me. So those kind of phrases sometimes can be motivated by self-righteousness and, and righteousness and not really humility at all. And that person might not have known anything, and now you've dumped on them, you've got it off your chest, and they're kind of completely crushed and left wondering, what on earth did I do? I also want to say this, that saying nothing can also be evidence of unforgiveness. Just existing in relationships in this kind of sullen withdrawn tolerance of each other speaks to me of unforgiveness. And someone once said this, said that the highest form of, of um, anger and the highest form of, uh, of yeah, well, of anger is, is silence. That's when you know someone is really angry when they won't say anything. It just kind of, you, you kind of move around in the room and pe- people just kind of, you want to try and say hello and they kind of just ignore you. And then you have to go to them and say hello. This is all anger. And I want to encourage you that real forgiveness is self-effacing. Real, real forgiveness is lived out in normal, restored relationships. And I want to encourage you as you go into your business place or your university place, whatever, wherever you live, that that would be the thing that you're aiming for all the time in your heart as a Christian, as a believer. Yeah? So James is saying, keep your mouth shut. He's saying, don't speak. Why is he saying, don't speak? He's saying, because actually, if you haven't dealt with the feelings in your heart, if you haven't dealt with the thing in your heart, when it comes out, the true feelings are communicated. That's why he's saying, let God do something in you. Be quick to hear God. Be slow to anger and slow to speak, because God must do something in you so that you don't destroy people by what you say. You're getting it. That's what he's saying. Because once your true feelings are out and open and you really have spoken your mind and you've done your thing and all that kind of stuff, the devil wins a great victory if it's done in anger. And that's my third point, really. Anger is the devil's victory. You know why he tries to get us angry with each other? It's because he knows that God can't bless us when we're angry. (laughs) God can't bless us when we're angry. Being angry leads to a lack of self-control. And then when you... Uh, have you ever found this? You know, Helen and I don't fight. <laughs> but when we do fight... No, we fight a lot, actually. And I... No, we do. No, we do. We have robust conversations. But you know, it's good. I think it's good that you actually, in your relationship, you talk and you work things out. Because that means that one partner is not dominating the other. I think that's a good thing. But have you ever noticed that this when sometimes you're in your argument and you really start speaking your mind... It just gets worse. Have you ever noticed that? It's like because then some deep feelings that you've kind of 
they start coming out, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And suddenly, you think, of, how did I end up in this, con- in, in this conversation? Have you ever had an experience like that? Now you're looking at me like blankly, like, no, you're the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Thank you. Thanks, my darling. (laughs) What I'm saying is when you start to lose self-control, it just accelerates that downward spiral, doesn't it? It just accelerates it and suddenly you are in the depths of the pit and you think, how on earth did I get here? You know, anger, you know you can, get some, you can get other people to doubt other people's integrity like that? You don't even have to say anything. This can just be a shrug of the shoulders. When someone is saying something negative about someone else, you can subtly agree with them. This is by your body language. Just go, well, what do you think about that? Destroyed someone's character just like that. And that takes years and years and years to repair. I don't think we consciously try and grieve the Holy Spirit uh, either. But the thing is, when anger comes, the devil's won, hands down. And so I want to encourage you in all of your friendships and your relationships to deal with anger. And I'm concluding with this. James says, the anger of man does not lead to any kind of righteousness, to the righteousness of God. And a and, um, couple of little sub-points. When we're angry, not dis- we, we don't demonstrate godliness, do we? <laughs> when we're angry, it's not, it's not godliness. It doesn't demonstrate the love of Jesus to anybody. Uh, and, and it might be natural. We might say, well, I'm speaking my mind. I'm, I'm getting it off my chest. But it's not, God, it's not God's way of doing things. Secondly, it doesn't demonstrate God's righteousness when we're angry. Because when we are angry, we're acting like we're still slaves to the flesh. And the Bible says we're not slaves to the flesh anymore, but we are slaves to righteousness. We've, God has done an incredible work in our hearts, and now we are free in Christ. And so either we, we vindicate ourselves now, and we say what we feel right now, and get it off our chest now, or we trust God for His vindication later. And we trust God for His voice saying to us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't give in. You with me? Do you want to hear the praises of men now, or do you want to hear the praises of God later? And uh, this is... This is um, I'm so glad about this. There's a kind of double thing here. You know, our anger, sometimes we can try and twist God's arm by getting angry. We can even try and twist God's arm in prayer, suddenly trying to get him to do what we want. Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago? God is not tempted by evil in any way. And so our anger doesn't tempt him. He's not moved by our anger. He's not moved when we throw our toys out of the cot. He's not moved by when we sulk and say, well, I won't go to church until the preacher changes. God just smiles from heaven. He'll do his work in your life in, in another way. Bring us back all back to the same point. He doesn't respond to us throwing our toys and behaving in a childlike way. Thank God he also doesn't respond negatively to our anger. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Isn't that an amazing thought? That he doesn't respond negatively to our anger. He's kind and he's good and he's generous every way. This is the gospel. He is good to us despite our anger. 
It doesn't re- he, uh, he doesn't respond to our anger in a way that moves away from his faithfulness towards us. He's always faithful towards us. And sometimes, sometimes he just ignores our anger because he's being faithful to us. And sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers because they're motivated by things that are not good, really, at the end of the day. And he can't respond to evil. And so remember what Psalm 103 says, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. I am so happy about that. Amen. And that's been a great comfort to me this week as I've, as I've reflected on this verse for my own life. And uh, I've had to look back on 47 years of life. And I think when you get a little bit older, I suppose you've, you've had time to make many more mistakes. You know, when you're young, you've, you're kind of in your 20s, you feel like the whole world is your oyster and you're going to take the world. And well, I've had 20 years of trying to take the world. And maybe I've realized now that I've hurt some people along the way. I've hurt some people by what I've said, uh, what I should have say, said that I didn't say. I mean, all of us can say that the things we're ashamed of that we said. And uh, I've had to just come to the point of saying, God, unless you intervene in some of these relationships, I'm talking about over 20 years, they'll never be restored because unless you do it, it can't be done. Unless the power of your spirit comes, changes my heart, changes the other person, it can't be done because it's just been, there's been damage done. And even the, even the greatest saint in the world knows what I'm speaking about. Yeah? But you know what? I'm so grateful for the grace of God. <laughs> so grateful for the gospel. Remember, God doesn't respond like that towards us. He forgives our rashness. He forgives our weakness. He, he, for, he forgives us flying off the handle. He, he doesn't even think about it. Doesn't that amaze you? It's like he doesn't even consider the fact. It's like he doesn't even think it's a possible. He doesn't even respond because he cannot be moved by sin in any way. And even when we try to twist his arm in prayer or through, through manipulating other people or whatever, he doesn't respond. He just, he's, he's, it's, his heart is perfect towards us. And he has his plan for our lives. And he, he wants us to enjoy the fullness of that. He could use all of the stuff against us, and he never does. <laughs> Why? Because you cannot be tempted by evil. And I love Romans 5, 6. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still saying the wrong thing, while we were still angry, while we were still hurting people with our words, while we were still doing all that stuff, God loved us perfectly. And he saved us in the midst of that. (laughs) Isn't that good news? That is good news, man. And he's established for us an everlasting righteousness so that we can know that we're forgiven and that his gift is permanent. It's never taken away. And uh, when I preached that message, the Father of lights, remember what I said? God has no shadow of turning. He holds no grudges. He is generous. He's forgiving all the time in every way. That's how loving he is to us as his children. He extends his love and his forgiveness to, to, to us constantly, 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 constantly. I'm asking you, as a friend, as someone who's equal as you are before the cross, as a brother, I'm asking you, can we extend that forgiveness to each other? Can this become a community of faith that extends that forgiveness to each other all the time? All the time. Can you think how many relationships there are in this church? There's a couple of hundred people. Can you imagine how many cross-sections of relationships there are? There are thousands 
He knows him, he knows him, he knows him. And it's like, oh, oh, twist it up. It's all like, just relationships are so complicated, aren't they? And so easy to get offended at people. And especially in the community of faith, this one didn't ask me to do that. And now I'm upset. And oh, gee. Can we just be those that extend forgiveness to each other? Can we become a community of faith that thinks the best of each other? Can we become a community of faith that thinks before it speaks? Can we be those that are quick to hear God, slow to speak, slow to anger? Amen?